0: All right, hello nerds and welcome to another episode of the Brains, Boobs and Beer podcast. I'm your host Heather and I'm very excited. Today I have on as a guest a longtime coworker and friend. Her name is Kelly and we have actually worked for the same company for almost 10 years. Um yeah, almost 10 years. So I'm very excited to have her on to share her story. So welcome Kelly hello everybody (laughs) and kelly is another beer girl so right now even though we are in separate time zones at the moment we are both enjoying a beer so kelly i am trying the pollyanna brewing company from illinois the Mazzy Mazzy. i don't know american pale ale so what are you drinking uh,
1: because I am a dark beer girl at heart, I am drinking a Lagunitas uh, Imperial Coffee Stout that I've actually been aging for a year. Ooh. All right. Now I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very good, too. But it's also very potent at
0: 12.4% ABV. Ooh, la la. Yeah, mine's like five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome I you know what I was so excited this winter when I actually found Chaco Vesa here I was very concerned that it wouldn't happen but I found it so I I am also a dark beer girl as you know so enjoy that one as much as you can for me remotely (laughs) I will definitely do that so kelly you and i yeah so we've worked together almost 10 years i realized um before starting this session i don't know if it if you had realized that but i think the first few years um we certainly interacted but i don't i don't know that we were what you would call especially friendly outside of work for a couple years in but since then um We've definitely had some interesting adventures together outside of work and at work. But uh, before we get into all that, can you give like your background, uh, maybe how you got interested in science, your schooling, etc.? Sure. Uh, My background, I have a Bachelor's
1: of Science in Medical Microbiology Uh, I actually did not start going into college with the intention of being a scientist. I went in as a business major. Like a lot of people, they, you know, try to get into college the easiest path. It was uh, a high school biology teacher that actually got me interested in microbiology. He was the microbiology instructor for Harbor College, which is a junior college out here. And he incorporated some of those things into our daily biology class things and was really interesting. So it always kind of stuck in the back of my mind. And this is actually kind of funny, but when we were registering for classes for, uh, I went to Cal State Long Beach And uh, I had a really good friend from high school who happened to be still out on surf safari. So his parents were registering for him. They put him in micro 101. So I decided, hey, I'm going to take that so I'll at least know somebody in class. Well, of course, he never stayed in the class because he's like, screw this. This is going to be too hard. I actually stayed in it because I really liked it. And I actually ended up changing my major, I want to say maybe two years in, much to my father's uh, disappointment because he's like, what is this stuff? What are you going to do with it? He's an engineer or was an engineer. And uh, I just kind of ignored him and just kept on my path. And, you know, I graduated uh worked for an IVD manufacturer throughout college. Uh, and after college for a little while, uh, actually got hired on at a contract lab where we mostly tested food. And uh, in '97, I answered a blind ad in the newspaper for a, a microbiology lab tech. And I actually didn't know it was for our company until I showed up. And it's like, oh, this could be interesting. And I actually got hired and I've been there ever since. So this is my 22nd year at our company. And uh, I just kind of worked my way up through R&D. And uh, now I'm in quality assurance. And in between those years, I actually, they paid for me to get my master's in business, which... Yeah, I haven't exactly used, but, you know, it's there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So just to clarify for the listeners, when uh, Kelly says that she's out there, she means in Los Angeles. So if you listen to the episode about my life, um, I am a relatively recent transplant to New Jersey from the Los Angeles location for our company, that shall not be named. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so we work together in the R&D world over there. Now, for the listeners who maybe don't know, um, what is the IBD manufacturing? Um, In vitro diagnostic manufacturing, what,
1: what I did essentially was we put together test kits to be used in hospitals to help diagnose disease. So they were mostly uh, immunofluorescent slides, ELISA plates, um, things of that nature. So I worked with a lot of uh, viruses, Lyme disease. Uh, a lot of it was Epstein-Barr related. Um, it was really interesting, um, but not something that I could actually build a career out of. It was a relatively small company. Uh, it's still around, but not anywhere near the size of the company that we currently work for. Wouldn't it wouldn't have afforded me the opportunities that we have now.
0: Sure. Um, and we do work for a global like healthcare company. We're both on the consumer side of it. And Yes, I think there are a lot, lot of opportunities within the bigger company. Sometimes bigger challenges, but definitely bigger payout too.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and if we wanted to, we could move around in between the different sectors that are within our company. But I kind of like consumer, it's a pretty fast paced uh, business, which I, as much as it makes me crazy, I, I rather like it.
0: Yeah, it definitely keeps your brain functioning and your problem-solving skills well honed. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have transitioned from the R and D side to the quality assurance side, and what are you doing there now? It's kind of been a circular path. So,
1: so, so they they transition the R and D area back to the East Coast, so I kind of had to find a new job, (laughs) and I transitioned to quality assurance, so I ended up from managing a microbiology laboratory to working in consumer complaints and investigating consumer complaints, which was highly interesting, so I managed to do that for a couple of years, in addition to working in plant quality and working on investigations there. And then I transitioned to global change control and, you know, worked with the site on that with managing their change functions and working with, you know, a lot of business partners there. And then finally when the opportunity came up to supervise the QA microbiology laboratory here, I had been out of the laboratory, been out of microbiology for probably nine years and, uh, there really wasn't anybody else that was qualified within the site to do that. And I was actually approached, hey, we think you would be really a great fit for this laboratory. You've already worked with one of the team members previously in R&D. Uh, we think it would be a really, quote, stretch goal for you to be able to do this. So uh, what do you think? So I applied and I actually got the position. So for the last year, I've been supervising the quality microbiology laboratory and that has been a challenge but it's also been great fun so I'm responsible for uh, release and test of all the finished product as well as all the raw materials and supporting the site floor with environmental monitoring and any support that the plant hygienist may need if anything you know arises
0: Okay. So you went, basically you went from doing the micro for products that are being created to managing micro for when the products are actually produced. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: went from developing them to releasing them after they've been made. Yeah.
0: That's kind of interesting. That must be an interesting to see thing to see that you know, stuff you were working on, now you're testing for release.
1: Yeah, it it is. And a lot of people, because they're so new that work in the quality side, because a lot of people, you know, I've been here 22 years. So a lot of the management that is currently in quality, you know, has not been there that long, and they don't realize what my background is. So if there are questions regarding the iconic products that we have that, You know, are being made. They don't realize I worked on them, and I'm—I actually developed the preservative systems for them. They have no idea that it's like, oh yeah, if you have an issue with this, try this, this or that. It's preserved with this, and this is why. Blah 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 blah. And and they just kind of look at me, and I said, "Well, I made that," (laughs) and they're just like, "Oh." So they, yeah, it's kind of interesting where you know, to have that perspective of, okay, first I built it, now I'm making it, now I'm releasing it. And it's just kind of nice to see the end to end business in in full function. Whereas in when I was in R&D, I really didn't get to have that overview of it. It was mostly you're in R&D, you're doing your job, and you didn't really get to have that view because we never really interacted with other areas within the site.
0: Sure. Yeah, and it's always fun to see what's going on in manufacturing. I've ex- is my experience anyway, um coming from R&D and then getting to play out on the floor. There's always something to learn on the floor and I would imagine that's the same in your case. Absolutely. I I really like manufacturing. I really do. It's fascinating. It's fascinating the links we go to to get our iconic products out the door (laughs) yes yes indeed. so between um the different roles that you've had there is there one that was a favorite or um I mean they're similar but they're also very different so like I guess do you have a favorite or what are the like uh favorite parts maybe of the different roles that you had I'd say probably my most
1: favorite and my most challenge are the same one. And that's the role I'm in now because it's the role that I've probably learned the most in, but it's also the role that I've been able to apply a lot of what I've learned over my entire career here. If that makes sense.
0: Okay. So It's challenging from a sense of like what you're encountering day to day, but because of like where you're coming from, like you said, having actually created preservative systems for the products, it's exciting that you get to actually leverage like your own personal historical knowledge and data into what you're doing now to try to problem solve. Is that basically? (laughs) That and if there, if something
1: happens on the floor and we're trying to develop a technical rationale as to why something may be okay, having that technical background of on a specific product uh, comes in handy because then I can say, this is why, but because of the knowledge that I've, you know, accumulated being in plant QA and being in an R&D role and now being in a quality role, I have that background over quality and compliance. I have that background in, okay, change control. I have that background in investigations. I have that background in, okay, this is what we need to do to support. And now managing, you know, a release laboratory I have the background and yes, we can do this to support the business. And it kind of feels good knowing that, okay, the laboratory that I supervise, we have that, that piece of the puzzle that, you know, can save the company half a million dollars, you know, for an investigation, you know, if we can, you know, save something, which is great, the probably the most challenging part of it, I'd have to say is managing people. That is not something that I've really done before this role, and it, it's the people part of it, not necessarily the science part of it.
0: Okay. So how many um, how many people are you managing in your lab? Because you have like kind of multiple shifts you're overseeing too, right? Yeah,
1: I have six.
0: Okay. So I have I have two
1: shifts that are in the lab now. I have a first and a second shift, and I have four that are on first
0: and two that are on second. Okay. And so now like you're another part of your challenge is just learning about how to, I guess, motivate different teams that are in different times and you may not see every day. That must be, that must be interesting.
1: <laughs> oh no. I, well, I see them every day. It's just trying to figure out, what mo what motivates different people because not everybody is motivated by the same thing so you know some people they really want recognition some people want just a thank you some people want a monetary reward some people they want to lead a team some people want to just work on a team some people you know it, it's just it, it's 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 very interesting. And, you know, even though, you know, we've all received training on this in, in different areas of our career, actually putting it into application is so much harder than just receiving the training. And this is how you do it. And even it's it, even it's so much more difficult putting it into application and having it in your graduate degree program, because we did cover this, obviously, in an MBA program, but I graduated in 2005. I didn't get this role until 2017. So that's there, a lot of time went by in between that. <laughs> <laughs> so but I mean, it, it's, it's been fun, because some of these team members I already knew. So it's developing, you know, a different rapport. And it's also, establishing that boundary between, okay, I am actually your supervisor and not necessarily, you know, trying to say, okay, trying to be a disciplinarian when you're friends with somebody is, is a little difficult sometimes. So you have to have a certain boundary that is established that, I found can be sometimes difficult because I do have a history that goes back far with one of my team members. He worked with me when I was in R&D. He worked with me many years. I got him hired on to QA where he's worked for seven, eight years and, you know, we've retained a really good friendship. So it's, it's been a little difficult because to me, I have to know, a little bit of my team members' backgrounds in order to figure them out a little bit. And you kind of have to be able to do that while getting to know them. And sometimes when you get to know them, you develop a little more empathy than you probably should as a supervisor. So that that's kind of where my challenge has been.
0: That's interesting to hear, and uh, especially the comment about, you know, you're empathetic, um, but maybe, a little more than suits the role of supervisor. So are there other suggestions, if there's somebody listening that's in a similar um, scenario or similar role where they're, they're managing and relatively new to managing a larger group, is there any tips you can give them on how to set up those boundaries? Like what were some of the steps you took to kind of, like you said, you had a lot of history with this person, your friends with this person, and How did you go about kind of setting up that structure in the new role that you're in? I'm still trying to
1: figure it out.
0: No, Uh, (laughs) you know, I'm,
1: you know, I, you know, and that's, that's kind of, I guess, and I've been told this is kind of what makes me a little bit unique as a supervisor, because I have that understanding of my team, um, that you know, I've taken the time to kind of get to know them and kind of figure them out a little bit to figure out kind of what makes each one tick and what, you know, is important to them, you know, as a member of this team, as a member of this company, you know, what drives them, what they feel is important, what they want to contribute to this team, this com- this company. Um, it's just sometimes when that happens, you find out more about, what goes on in their life outside of work. And sometimes when you have to make decisions that impact the company itself, you know, what's going on in their backstory. And it's hard for me not to let what goes on in that backstory play into my decisions that have to be made in the job. If, if that makes sense. So.
0: No, I think, I think it does make sense. And, at the end of the day, we're all humans. And some of us, I think, are better humans than others. So getting to know your team at that level, on the one hand, may be very beneficial for you. But at some point, it may become a bigger challenge, having learned everything that you have learned.
1: Yeah, for, for me, it is a challenge. And, you know, feedback that I've received from management higher up is, yeah, I, I can be a little too human, which kind of disappoints me a little bit but you know I choose to take the path that I choose to take for a reason so yeah I just I just keep plugging away the way I see fit and you know it'll work
0: out absolutely and and like you said um how different people react or want recognition or what motivates them, you know, I think it's beneficial to have the different kind of leadership too, because that's where you may connect with somebody that hasn't had management that really motivated them before. And now they're in a new role and a new type of management and they can excel and do more for the company. So yeah, I mean, it sounds like you are doing you and doing great. (laughs) I'm trying
1: to. I'm trying to. And, you know, I'm trying to find mentors that not necessarily have the same values I do, but, you know, have the same, you know, that have been in management for a long time, that have managed larger teams, that, you know, may have come up the same way I have and can offer, you know, advice that, you know, I can follow because, I don't always agree with, okay, this is what needs to get done. You just do it and you just can't think about how this is going to affect them because, you know, we, we do have a a certain thing that we follow at work that, you know, I believe should be applied and, you know, it's not always followed the way everybody says it is. And I'm just going to leave it at that. And those that, work for our company, know what I'm talking about. And I'm sorry for those that don't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I I absolutely know what you're referring to. Yes. <laughs> uh, so,
1: you know, I, and I try to find mentors outside of my company as well that, you know, can offer management advice um, even, you know, in a science area, because when I was, you know, and again, being a, a, female in a science field when I was in school and when I was coming up, there weren't many women in science and there definitely weren't many women in management roles within a science field. It was primarily a male dominated area. So a lot of the management roles that, you know, I you know, a lot of the mentors that I have, they're they're not in science Related fields, they they are in management roles, but not in science management. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and I think actually that was like a perfect segue into <laughs> into the like women in STEM, and and I was going to ask about um, your experience in school, and and I would would have guessed that there weren't as many. Uh, ladies choosing to study the microbes um, alongside you, same as as me with the chemical molecules. <laughs> uh, but, but I also think, um, I really thought it was a great point you made about when you're looking for mentors, looking both inside kind of your field as well as externally. I currently don't really have any mentors that I'm working with, and I need to get on that and get searching um, since I've been here like a year. But I think it's a really great point, And I think like what you were talking about where um, they may have a different perspective of, from what you're doing or a little bit different way or a different leadership style, I guess you could say. Um, I think it's an interesting point to kind of get those different perspectives into like your own awareness, so that you can pull from them as needed to kind of apply into your day to day. So I just thought that was a really great point you made about mentors and and who to look for. And sometimes the
1: mentors that I have for me personally, they don't actually know they're being a mentor to me. I they it's not a an arrangement that we have where we meet on a regular basis. It's just a manager that I will go to periodically and ask, you know, for advice, but we don't have like a specific arrangement where we will, you know, follow up on a regular basis, like a regular mentor mentee relationship. Uh, so they, they don't actually realize that I view them as a mentor per se, but um, yeah, it it is, I have found it useful to, to have them, you know, in, in different areas of the business and
0: even in different businesses, but... Um, yeah, to have the different background, even if it's something completely different from what we're doing. Right. But it may give you a, a fresh take on things. Absolutely. To see something just from a whole new lens and be able to work through a challenge. No, I think it's great. Um, okay, so you were the there were not many females in in it sounded like in your class and a lot of times in the roles you've had or just the science field in general um is there any any challenges that arose because of that or that were because you were a female in that role or have you ever felt any challenges around that um how did you overcome any related challenges to that I think I've
1: probably been pretty lucky where I've never been felt to be made thought of as less than because I was a female coming up in a science field. When I was in school, yes, there were more males uh, in the science classes than there were females. Um, primarily more in the chemistry and physics classes. Uh, There were probably an even amount of males and females in the, in the micro classes, but I would not once was there ever an indication from any of the professors that I would never make it because I was a female or I was never as intelligent as a male counterpart. In fact, I was lucky enough to have a couple of professors that were the opposite, where they recognized uh, effort and intelligence for who it was, what it was, who it came from, regardless of whether you were male or female. Um, And the manager that hired me in our company, yeah, he was fairly chauvinistic. In fact, he, uh, he didn't hire me for being female. He hired me, you know, just because I was a microbiologist. I he he was desperate. He needed to fill the position. I was who answered and I could do the work. So I got the job. I don't think it mattered whether I was male or female, but you know, once I got in the position, he he definitely made use of me being female for some things and trying to, I I was always the one that did the training for the guys on the floor because he felt they would pay attention to me because I was female. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, instead of whether or not I, whether or not I actually knew the, knew the material or not, he's like, it doesn't matter if you know it or not. He says, just present it. They'll, they'll pay attention to you. You're female. I mean, I actually, he actually said that to me and, you know, I just remember looking at him like, I cannot believe that actually came out of your mouth. (laughs)
0: yeah that's uh that's an interesting comment (laughs) you know when i hired on it was 97
1: it was an old boys club in management um so there, there were sometimes comments made like that but it was more about what you look like not necessarily if you were capable of doing the job or if you were smart enough and I think any female in any position would have uh, encountered that, not necessarily in science, but uh, in 2006 when I became part of a different department. Uh, my director, she was the only PhD candidate in in her education during school she when she came up she was the only female phd uh at the time when she was working at our company she was the only female um that had come up through her ranks and you know
0: she experienced quite a lot of i mean i'm glad to hear like i mean even just a few years ago (laughs) like you weren't even you weren't experiencing that and i think That's certainly a positive to, uh, I guess, the world in general. Um, And I think, to be honest, I do think that our company, who shall not be named, I kind of like that. I think I'm going to use that from now on. (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) named? Yeah, the company who shall not be named. Um, But I do think they do try to kind of even the the playing field. And I know in LA, it did seem like we had a more substantial amount of women leaders, um, in the business there than I've seen in like previous places I've worked. So yes, I do think that's, that's certainly a plus that, um, maybe I take for granted a little bit, but it's definitely something to recognize, especially for that site. Yeah. And we still do. Okay. Um, so fortunately, you haven't had too many challenges in that, in that aspect. So that's great. Um, but I guess if there is a listener out there who's considering going into STEM, maybe considering micro or whatever it is, are there any suggestions you would give them um, for getting into the field um, and, and continuing on and looking at a career in the, in the STEM world? have an idea of what you want to do.
1: Um, the, it's such a broad field and so many things to research. I, I know like within our company, uh, there's so many different things that that you can do and, and go to uh, the schools. They offer so many different programs. Um I would like to think that there aren't as many challenges with girls and women going into these fields now. And I know there are a lot of programs now trying to get more science and math in schools and have, you know, have the interest there for all kids, not just females, but, you know, participate. In in extracurricular activities, pr- participate. You know, in clubs. Uh, you know, it, it's been a hell of a long time since I've been in school. So, <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been in school. It's been a long time since I've had to look for a job. So, you know, for me, offering advice on that, it, it, it's it's I'm probably not the best person to do that.
0: No, but I think, I think it was good points. Um, And I mean, it kind of ties into even if it's somebody early on in their career that, okay, so we don't have clubs, uh, you know, we don't have sports and clubs at work, but you have the different networking, quote unquote, extracurricular activities. You know, there's a lot of professional organizations out there that people can get in touch with to, to network and learn more and, and you never know who you're going to meet where. So, um, yes, you may not have gotten, you may not have been in school for a little while, but I think your point is certainly relevant. But but why can't we create one? That's true. I mean, why not have a sport club? But or you know why can't
1: we you know create some sort of of STEM club at work? That's true. Where we build where we build something where we. You know, a lot, a lot of the the STEM clubs at schools, like in high schools or in colleges, they they actually build robots or they build they build things. We we could totally do something and go on robot wars or something.
0: I love it. I think it's a great idea. And if I'm not mistaken, our company, who shall not be named, is looking at or did invest in something with robots. So why not? <laughs> No, but I think it's a good point. So, I mean, you had great points about like the, as I'm going to call that your networking point, but also the mentoring point. So I think for anyone listening, those are some really good tips, whatever whatever stage you're in really to be doing those and start a robot club. Start a
1: robot club. <laughs> <laughs> but, if you, but mainly if you have questions, ask. You know whether it's you know somebody you know, whether it's a professor if you're in school or if you have a contact, whether it's it's LinkedIn. Just just be careful how you do a cold question on LinkedIn. I know I know you have uh, put up tips and tricks on how to approach somebody on LinkedIn, but I mean if if you have a contact on LinkedIn or that you know, is in a field that you are interested in, don't be afraid of reaching out and asking them a question. Just there's etiquette to follow to do that.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And I think that's another great point is to, to ask ask questions. I have learned um, there are certain ways to ask questions. <laughs> when I was when I was much younger, I don't know if you'll believe this because we've known each other when I was, I will say, an adult. But when I was little, I was super, super shy and I never ever wanted to ask questions, um, which is my own problem. I should have asked all the questions I had in my head at the time. So now I ask a million questions a day. Um, probably to the annoyance of those around me. But if you don't ask, you don't learn. You don't know. So another good tip. There you go. From Kelly. Build robots. Ask questions. <laughs> I don't believe that for one minute. I don't believe I swear, at all. I swear. It's like I start, stored them all up and now they come out just like nonstop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like the most shy kid ever. Like, you'd ask me a question, and I'd just be, like, blushing in the corner. No, that is not the Heather I know. No, no, no. I've I've changed a little bit since those days. A lot. <laughs> I went from, like, one extreme to the other.
1: <laughs> yeah, the trouble that we've gotten into, this is sidebar, but the trouble that we've gotten into outside of work,
0: yeah, that is no shy Heather. <laughs> yeah, I, I burst out of my shell, like, in college and was like, nope this is what I'm doing. This is life now. (laughs) And that's a much more fun life. It does. It does. Well, speaking of trouble that we've gotten into outside of work, um, apart from being a beer girl like myself and FYI listeners. So I talked about in my life story that I worked part-time at a brewery just for funsies. So Kelly is the one that actually connected me with the individuals at that brewery who hired me on to work weekends. So thank you, Kelly, for that. <laughs> you are very welcome. <laughs> so apart from drinking beer sometimes and responsibly, what else do you like to do in your free time to unwind or unplug um, from your your stressful days in micro QA micro? Well, what I like to do to unwind from my stressful
1: days at work uh, is also another male-dominated field. Uh, I own a 2017 Dodge Charger 392 that I have equipped with uh, aerodynamic splitters and a roll cage, and I track it. On on road courses around Southern California, so I I race it. Um, You can thank my ex-husband and some really good friends for that one. Um, You can also thank my ex-husband for the beer thing too. But neither here nor there. Uh, So yeah, I am a speed freak uh, as well as an off-road freak. Um, So I have two extremes on that one. My my toys are not cheap and they are both automotive so there you go
0: yep so I can say that I have ridden in the the yellow one (laughs) I forgot about that coming back from the hockey game (laughs) (laughs) but um if if you have not been to LA uh Listen, the traffic there, you hear about it, but it is even worse than you hear. Like you have to, you have to live it to understand. But some nights there's really not much traffic if you're coming home late from a hockey game that went on forever. And then it's super fun when your friend's driving a car with a massive engine and nobody's around. (laughs) And you're getting on the express lane. (laughs) Uh, Yes.
1: (laughs) Thank goodness for the express lane. (laughs) And good breaks. Yeah, well, yeah, and and a good driver. <laughs> and, yeah, we were doing well until so that car, like, decided to get in front of me, and it's like, oh, let's engage those six-piston brakes. <laughs> well, they didn't make the right choice. No. <laughs> well, usually when people see me barreling up behind them, they get out of my way. They don't turn into my way. But, yeah, I, I do not street race. There, there's – racetracks around here for that. And, um, but I don't drag race. It's a road course. So it's turning right and left more so than going straight or in a circle. Um, and yeah, I, I race it, you know, Willow Springs, uh, auto club speedway, uh, button Willow. Uh, there's a group that, you know, when he has track days, I'll go out and run with, uh, a lot of times I'm either the only female out there with her car or I'm like the second female out there with her car. And I hold my own. And there have been a couple of times where some guys will come up to me and ask me, what, is, what do you have in your car? It's like, actually, the car is stock. The only thing I've done is, you know, tweak the aerodynamics, uh, the splitters that I have. They're all chassis mounted. So basically the entire underneath of the car is sheeted in aluminum. So it reduces the air drag. So it allows me to push through without any air drag whatsoever, allowing me to go a little bit faster without having to modify anything in the engine. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've spanked quite a
0: few guys that didn't expect to get spanked. <laughs> by a girl. That's all right. By a girl. Uh, That's all right. I'm sure I'm sure they got over it. <laughs> well, have, yeah, some have it. Some oh, some,
1: some have been a little butthurt over that, I, I have to say. And uh, it's ruined their day a little bit. Or they try to uh, show that they could actually do better. And anger gets the best of them. And they actually end up doing worse or making stupid mistakes and screwing up their car when they go off track. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one sport where you definitely have to keep your mind focused, and you cannot let emotion get the best of you.
0: That actually sounds like really good training.
1: Yeah. You would think I would apply it in every day at work, but no, that just
0: doesn't <laughs> seem to, it to carry over so much. <laughs> well, uh, maybe it will one day, or maybe it will, like, subliminally. The more The more you're racing, maybe it'll just kind of creep in. You won't even realize it. Yeah, but...
1: Yeah, so last year I decided, actually, I hydroplaned while coming back from a car show because I have racing slicks on the Charger. I decided, okay, if this Charger is going to be set up for tracking, I need a daily driver. So I ended up getting a purple Wrangler, um, JK, and I said, okay, I'm not doing anything with this one. It's just going to be my daily driver. Uh Well, well, that lasted like three months. Actually, not even three months. (laughs) I got it in March. By the time June hit, I was already doing something to it. And now it's, you know, got full lift, sway bars done. Um, Yeah, it's in fact, I don't even have it right now. I'm actually driving the Charger in the rain on race slicks, which is not the most intelligent thing to do. But right now it's the only thing I have. I don't get the Jeep back till next week. But so the Jeep is my daily driver, but I do also off-road with it. Mostly, Uh, I do like to rock crawl. So it's set up for crawling. Um, And it's two different types of adrenaline releases. One is speed. One is, you better do this right, or you're going to tumble over the side of a mountain kind of (laughs) thing.
0: All right. Well, you challenge yourself to the extreme then outside of work. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I never you too. So I don't know where this is actually
1: coming from. It could be a midlife crisis. I never know.
0: <laughs> oh man. And then you're in like a couple car clubs too, right? If if I remember correctly. Yeah, I am in a car club uh, for the the charger. I'm actually in a Jeep club for the Jeep. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so you're splitting your time between the between the two.
1: Um, the, the Jeep is monopolizing my time mostly now and much to the, you know, disgust of my car people. They think I've disowned them, but it's, it's been raining. So there hasn't been much to do with the car scene right now. That's right. The weather's been, uh, bad there. In California, we've actually had a winter this year. So February it's, it rained. And this weekend it's rained and it's supposed to rain most of next week too, which I'm really, really getting tired of the rain. We're not used to rain out here. I'm tired of it. I don't want it anymore. I want my 80 degree winter weather back.
0: (laughs) Well, and like you were talking about driving the Charger in the rain's a little tricky because there's... For those of you that have not been to L.A., there's like no drainage. There's no nothing was designed really for no. runoff or weather other than sunshine. So it can get tricky. Like freeways will close because of just a light. What would be like a light rain elsewhere because they just they flood. Yeah, and then we get mudslides.
1: <laughs> and, and people just don't know how to drive in the rain out here. They freak out. Yeah, I mean we get we get light rain. And it's Stormwatch 2019. And, and it's like, okay, it's just a mild rainstorm. It's not that bad. But then where I am, it's not that bad. But if you go to the foothills, they've gotten like two inches of rain in 45 minutes. And it's like, okay, that's bad.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Goodness. Well, I hope you get the Jeep back soon. Yeah, I spoke to
1: uh, my friend who's actually the one doing all the work on it. And I I should have it back by like Wednesday or Thursday. Do you want to give a shout out to whoever's
0: working on the car?
1: Yeah, it's uh, Tony at Autobahn uh, Collision in Torrance. Even though he's a collision shop, uh, he's a friend of mine and he's also a Jeep guy. So he actually did all the work putting her back together when... The snot-nosed little teenager last September ran a stop sign and hit me. Um, Yeah, he he rebuilt her, and he actually does the work for me when I get an idea in my head and go, hey, why don't we do this? And he's like, okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I like that he he is so willing to work with you. Yeah. And a lot of times he'll say, hey, we could do this and we could do
1: that and we could add this. And I looked at it. okay. (laughs) So it's a mutual beneficial relationship. I get a great keep out of it. He gets paid and everybody's happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. um, If you're willing to share photos of your car your car and your jeep. I'd be happy to put them. Absolutely, put them up when I am getting ready to post this episode. <laughs> and then and then people can go check out um the auto, autobahn collision. That was it? Autobahn. Yeah. The Autobahn. Yeah, so if you
1: if you need anything repaired on your car and you're in the South Bay area,
0: Tony will take care of you. Nice. Nice. There you go. There you go people, listening. Go see Tony. Even if you didn't have a crash, he'll do
1: things. (laughs) Or Tony will refer you if he can't help you because he doesn't doesn't
0: do engine work. Ah, okay. Okay. Anything else that you like to do in your free time? Now, I seem to recall that there was a few times that we went shooting. Are you still shooting? I am still shooting, and I actually have – purchased uh,
1: a Ruger SP 101, uh, which is a 357 Magnum. Um, I'm, I'm actually looking to get a Glock and I'm looking to get a shotgun pretty soon too. So
0: now is is our um, good friend and co worker Lorenzo aware of all this? Uh, Lorenzo knows about the Ruger. He does not
1: yet know about the Glock or the shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) I I haven't been able to see, since since you left, uh, our lunch group has kind of fallen apart. And since Jeremy was promoted to, uh, manager, I hardly ever see him and I hardly ever see Lorenzo too. So it's more like a high and by in the hallway as everybody's running by. So it kind of sucks. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, you, you were kind of the glue that kind of kept us all together. And it's like, all right. I keep trying. It's like, okay, we all need to get some lunch. You know, we need to meet for lunch and all that. And then I get the, yeah, but I'm just so busy from Jeremy. And I was like, don't hand me that crap. <laughs> Come on. You were not that busy when, when Heather was here and you were not
0: that busy before. You have to eat lunch. We all have to eat lunch. That's true. I would <laughs> – I would just yell over the wall at him, Jeremy. We're going to lunch now. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I'm not in his building, and he's in an office now.
1: So, ah, uh, they, yeah, they all overtook um, the offices in the R and D building with the windows.
0: Oh, upstairs. Okay. Oh, so he, has- yeah, I think I remember somebody saying that now. Yeah,
1: he has one now. Alex has one now. Um. Yeah, so they they all have all the offices.
0: Well, they get to look out at beautiful Los Angeles. <laughs> no, they get to look at the parking lot, <laughs> the cement, all the concrete jungle.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would rather have the window into the plant, but you know, yeah. I'm not that lucky. Then I would never get anything done because I would be too busy watching what's going on in the plant and what's on the lines because that just fascinates me. Yeah, I, I would watch that all day long. It's like, okay, Kelly, get back to work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you very much for sharing all of that. Is there any last little tidbit or tip or shout out or anything you want to share with the listeners before we wrap up? Oh, you know what? I also forgot to ask you your favorite beer of all time. So combine all of that. <laughs> oh my God. I do not have a favorite beer of all time, but I do have favorite breweries. Um,
1: if you're in the Torrance area, Smog City, uh, which is on Delamo, um, even though I haven't been there in a while, they're still great beers. And Ballast Point. Um, Ballast Point's one of my favorite breweries. Uh, they have opened one up in Long Beach. Um, and I think they have, didn't you go to their, was it Ballast Point that opened
0: up the rail car thing? Um, was it Ballast? I don't think Ballast was open before I left, but Smog has down in uh, Long Beach has the little, oh, uh, yeah, it's okay. like in a, a train car, not a train car. Um, uh, what do you call it? I can't remember. It was, it was a rail car. It was a container. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ship container. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. I, I still haven't gone down there. Oh, wow. No, I need to
0: grab Mike D and uh, drag his ass down there. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure he could be convinced.
1: Yeah. But I mean, those are my two favorite breweries. Uh, again, you know, I'm a dark beer girl. Uh, I can never go wrong with Victory at Sea. Love that beer. Mm. I will drink that beer all year round, even in the summertime
0: yeah nothing beats I don't, nothing I don't think anything beats the smog city porter or the chip shot. those those are amazing. Although yeah, I remember I had the is it King Harbor and they had done some kind of coffee porter and it was pretty good. I haven't been to King Harbor uh, in a while. That's actually right
1: where I had my car accident. That's where the kid ran the stop sign. <laughs> oh geez. <laughs> Um, but, uh, Smog also has the saber tooth squirrel, which I really, really like if I'm not in the mood for a dark quarter or a dark beer, I always go with their saber tooth squirrel. Um, and if I'm really feeling, cause I, I was one of those that was blessed with the, uh, bitter taste buds, uh, the IPAs. I know, I know IPAs are not your favorite, um, especially if the Simco hops are being used. Um, but, um, yeah, IPAs are, are – I don't have a favorite IPA. Um, Sculpin is always usually my go-to if I'm out and I can't think because I'm overwhelmed by all the choices out now. But, um,
0: yeah, uh, Ballast Point is probably my favorite brewery. So did they open a full like tasting room or what did they open in Long Beach? They have a full restaurant in in uh Long Beach with uh
1: I don't think it's a brewery there, but it, it's full full handled
0: bar. Okay. All right. Nice. Hmm. Right on the water. Oh, even better. Yeah. So in the summertime it, it gets crowded, but it's nice. Yeah. But at least there's several things to pop around down in Long Beach anyway. You can yeah. you can hop around to a few, so oh, that's cool. All right, well, any last tips, any last suggestions for people? None that I can think of. I'm sorry. That's all right. Let's see. You well, you already did a lot. You did. Ask questions, uh, look for mentors, network, and build robot, ro- robots. 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 <laughs> I barely had any of this, like pale ale, and I can't talk. What's happening? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah it, and if, and if, you know, at your job, you know, or school, if something doesn't exist that you think is missing, don't be afraid to pioneer and create something and lead it. Cause you did that several times where we work. Yep. But, and I would say this podcast. <laughs> well, this, well, this podcast, but, Even the environmental uh, ERG that we have, that wouldn't have existed if you hadn't of forged the way. That's
0: true. I hope it's still going. (laughs) Alex is leading it. Nice. She had plenty of experience, too, from where she was before.
1: Yeah, she tried to get me to do it. And it's like, I don't have time to do this. I can't. (laughs)
0: Like, I will recycle, though, I swear. (laughs) That's exactly what I said. I said, I promise
1: (laughs) Participate, but I can't lead it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I <laughs> know
0: your limits. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, it's been fun catching up and discussing all the things. And I actually learned a little bit more about you. So that's that's very interesting for me as well. Um, okay, thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you for your time and listeners, thank you for tuning in and um, we will get this posted as soon as possible and you'll hear uh, another episode coming soon so stay tuned and you will hear more from more nerds and more people in STEM